Welcome to the Riverside Church Podcast. Riverside Church is a community of believers striving side-by-side for the gospel in the greater New Orleans area. For more information about Riverside Church, go to riversidelife.org. You may be seated. Uh, Kids, you can be dismissed to Children's Church at this time, if you wish. If you wish to stay with us, we would love to have you stay with us um, this morning. Acts chapter 9, I read a little bit of what we looked at last week, but Acts chapter 9, verses 19 through 31 uh, is our focus this morning. So that's Acts chapter 9, verses 19 through 31 is particularly what we're going to be looking for. If you want to mark some places in your Bible, uh, Galatians chapter 1, and you'll see why in a little bit, and 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and 2 Corinthians chapter 11. So Acts chapter Chapter nine, Galatians chapter one, and then in Second Corinthians, uh, we'll see, and you'll see why that is in a minute. Or some places uh, that you might want to turn this morning. You've heard it said before: you are what you eat. Have you heard that before? You are what you eat. That became famous um, in, the, in the 1820s as as a man began to say: "Is what you eat is what your body." will show. Uh, Even more so, we know that this is not just a truth, that we are what we eat, and what we eat, that's what we become. Uh, We know that from the scriptures, and we'll see that in the scriptures this morning, uh, is is what we, we become, listen, that we become what we worship. We become what we worship. Greg Beal wrote a, 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 a wonderful book. It, it's very thick. It's, it's called We Become What We Worship. And in that book he wrote, he says, What people revere, they resemble either for their ruin or for their restoration. Let me say that again. What people revere, what people worship, what people behold, they will resemble either for ruin or for restoration. And the point that he is making in that book is that our worship and our affections right now are pointers of our future trajectory. Just as what you eat, that's you are what you eat in the same way, in a more significant way, what we worship, what we revere, what we behold are pointers for our future trajectory. Our worship is either aimed at our ruin or our worship is aimed at our restoration. What we worship matters. What we give our lives away to matters. What we have our eyes set on matters. In fact, this is not just a a, a truth coming from a man named Greg Beale. This is a truth coming from Scripture. It comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, when the Bible says, uh, when we behold the glory of the Lord, we will be transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to the next. From this comes from the from the Lord. We become what we worship. What we behold is where we are going. Advertisers know this, don't they? Our, our culture knows this. Our, our culture puts things before our eyes each and every day in order to manipulate our affections, to manipulate our thoughts so that we will desire their products. Uh, you've, you've experienced that before. They, they put something before you and you behold that advertisement and you say, I want my life to look like that. Perhaps if I buy that product, then my life will look like that. We see this all over the things we watch each and every day, that there's always these agendas kind of baked in uh, to culture because people know that if they can get it in our minds and get it before our eyes and get us to behold something, then we will start to look like 
those things and desire all sorts of things. If they can get us to consume, to behold, we will try to become like those things. You'll likely see this in your own life. Stop and think about what you consume, what you behold on a daily basis. And if you think about that for a minute... You start to think, that's all I can think about, and your desires have been affected by what you have spent your time beholding. What we behold, we become. We become what we behold. What we prize and see beauty in, that is what we will become. We are what we eat. We are what we consume. And as we behold what we think is of great worth, we live and feed ourselves accordingly. And here's the truth. You see this with the Apostle Paul before we meet Christ. As I heard one professor say one time, even our wanter is bad. Even what we desire is off. Our appetite is off. Our taste buds are off. Our desires are off. But once we behold him, once we behold him, and as we saw with the Apostle Paul, Christ in this world will say, it'll be only Christ. That's the first thing. As we say, 18 of chapter 9, the scales began to hidden. He is now from one degree of glory to the transformed. If you pursue anything else, you'll be transformed from one degree of, of death to the next until you enter eternal death. For the Apostle Paul and for all of us, the only hope for us to be transformed in a way that doesn't lead to our ruin by restoration is to behold Christ and then subsequently become more like him as we behold him more. So point number one, as I was saying a second ago, we are transformed by beholding his glory. Point number one, we are transformed by beholding his glory. Maybe, let's just stop and, do you remember that time when the scales fell off your eyes and you saw Christ for who he was? I've heard a lot of your testimonies before. Maybe it was someone coming door to door to tell you about the gospel of Jesus Christ. It was a normal day and the scales fell off and you beheld Christ. Maybe it was by your bedside or maybe it was at a revival meeting or maybe it was in the quiet of your car, wherever it was. When did those scales fall off? Here's the truth. All conversions to Christ result from finally beholding him as our Christ. That he's not just the Christ, he he is our Christ. We are sinners in need of salvation. And when we are confronted with his glory, with his weight, with his worthiness, with his beauty, like Saul, we are no longer antagonistic toward the gospel, nor even neutral toward the gospel, but see the gospel and we see Jesus as, as beautiful. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. I have to believe that Saul had his conversion spirit, uh, experience in, in mind here. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 3, 18. He says, and we all with unveiled face, we all, not just Paul, but we all, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed in the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. And he goes on to say, in, in, in their case, the God of this world, in verse 4, has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, verse 5. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ is Lord, 
with ourselves as your servants for Jesus Christ, for Jesus' sake. For God said, let light shine out of darkness. And he has shown in our hearts, in your heart, in my heart, to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Here's what I want you to see. Conversion involves seeing the glory of Christ and being transformed by that glory. We can never be the same. And Paul adds that God in Galatians chapter 1, he says this, was pleased to reveal his son to me. The wonderful reality of Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and reigning, was made known to Paul. God opens the eyes that they might see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Paul previously knew Christian teaching, but he did not accept it. The idea of a crucified Messiah was repulsive to him and to Jews in general. Then Christ was revealed to him and everything changed. Here's what I want you to know. You may not have a Damascus Road experience exactly like Saul. We mentioned some of this last week. But all of us have a 2 Corinthians 4, 6 experience where we behold the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. When Paul refers to beholding the glory of the Lord, he's referring to the the kind of seeing that only God can make possible. That he shines in our hearts the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And then we behold and we see Christ for who he is. He is the Messiah, the Son of God. And he is supremely beautiful and more valuable than anything in the world. Has God opened your eyes to see that? Have you tasted his goodness So much so that nothing else can satisfy. That he is the greatest treasure. He is the greatest desire. He is of most value. He is the most glory. I no longer see him as boring or inferior, unattractive, but I have beheld his glory and nothing else will do. To behold Christ in his glory is to be changed forever. And now we are being transformed from one degree of glory to the next as he puts his spirit in us. So get this, we're being transformed, not one degree of glory, not one degree of death to another, not for our ruin, but as we behold Christ, we are being restored and we are being made new. We are being changed forever. We have beheld him and now we are becoming like him as he transforms us to look like Christ more and more. Saul beholds Christ for who he truly is, and he's transformed so much so that his murderous threats against Christ have been transformed into affections for Christ. So we're transformed by beholding his glory. How do we behold his glory? What causes you to behold his glory? It's the Spirit. And where do we hold his glory? We primarily behold it, him in the scripture. So the Holy Spirit is both the source of scripture and the one who illumines its meaning for us. And so we behold the glory of the Lord, allowing the spirit to speak through us to, it, to us through his word, bringing God's truth to our hearts. And when he does that, we need to start asking the question. So if God has transformed you, we saw that with Saul's conversion even last week, and, and, and we're, we're talking about it again because this is going to build into what we, what we see next. If that is happening, I want to ask you a question. Ultimately, 
what is being showcased in your life? If, if people think of you, what do they think of? If, when, when people think of, of what your life is showcasing, what do they think of? And when, when people think of, of what fragrance you are spreading, what are you spreading? We, we know the truth is, we see this all through Scripture, that the desire of God is to fill this earth with his glory. That, that, that's what God's aim is. That's the end goal, to fill this earth with his glory. And we've beheld his glory, and he's transforming us as new creations, as, as new creatures. And so now our job is to what? Display that glory that we have been transformed by as we shine more and more in the light of Christ. Our job is as ambassadors of Christ, as new creatures, we are to proclaim that glory wherever we go. And so, so the first point, have you been transformed? Have you beheld the glory of God? And now the, the second thing I want you to see, how do we showcase that? How do we fill the earth with his glory? Point number two, have you, number one, have you been transformed by the glory of Jesus Christ? Have you beheld him? And know this, you will never be changed by trying harder or trying to prove yourself or trying to earn it. It's all by grace. It's all by beholding him and him opening our eyes. Point number, have you been transformed? Number two, proclaiming his glory in power. We see this in the, 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 the life of Saul. Let's go ahead and take a look. Verse 19, for some days, chapter X9, verse 19. And for some days, Saul... The transformed one scales off his eyes. He's been transformed by beholding Christ. And, and, and let me say this. Your ministry might not look... He, Paul was called to a special ministry. But we're all called. Just we're all to, called to be transformed by his glory. We're all called to proclaim his glory in power. For some days he was with his disciples at Damascus, verse 20. And immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue saying, He is the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, is, this the, is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon his name? And has he not come here for this purpose to bring them bound before the chief priest? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. So, so here's what I want you to see. Now transformed, we have been transformed. We are new creations. We are now ambassadors for Christ. And the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 that God is making his appeal to the world through us to be reconciled to Christ. We be reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. So our ministry may not look like Paul's, but we are all called to be in the world with his glory and to proclaim one. Go ahead and turn your Bibles to Galatians. This time in his life, Paul's what the gospel truly is. And so what, what Paul's proclaiming, listen to what it says in Galatians chapter 1. He says, For I'd have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. He beheld him and was changed. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism. How I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But 
But when he who had set me apart before I was born and called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. And then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remain with him for 15 days. Here's what I want you to see. This gospel that he is proclaiming is not gospel that comes from man. This is not something of man's invention. What Paul was saying that he did not invent the gospel. This was not a message that he made up. This was a message that was revealed to him. And what he is saying, it is all grace. Here's why you need to understand this. Listen to me good. The natural default mode of the human heart is not grace. The natural default mode, we see it in the life, he was zealous beyond his age. The natural default mode of the human heart, and you see this in all world religions, is works righteousness. We want to say that we have done something to save ourselves. But the message of grace, that the work has already been done, is counterintuitive to us. Grace offends our natural sensibilities. Works righteousness is motivated by unbelief, and we do not naturally trust grace. We want control. And this supports the reality that people did not make up the gospel of grace. It came from God. This is what makes the message of Christianity different than every religion in the entire world. This is not just another religion. This is not something that comes from man. This is something that has been revealed from heaven by God to people like Saul, to people like you when God opens your eyes, that this is a gospel of grace, not of human merit and works righteousness. People did not invent this message. This comes from God himself. And so as Paul goes to proclaim, so this tells us something. You might not have this, Paul had a special ministry to go to the Gentiles and God used him in, in, in ways like no other. But here, here's, here's what I want you to see. If you're transformed and beheld his glory, your job to my job and, and your job to spread the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere to fill the earth with his glory is to tell people about his grace, that God saves sinners. And you are a sinner, and it wasn't because of anything that you did, but it was because of the work of God. He is the anointed one. He is the Son of God. He is the Messiah, and we are only saved by beholding him, not by earning our salvation. And so Paul wants them to know that. That's what what we're to proclaim, that it's grace and grace alone. Notice else what he proclaimed. He proclaimed that Jesus, do you see it in verse 20, that he is the Son of God. All this denying that Paul did, that he is the Son of God, Paul is saying now that his eyes have been opened, that he truly is the Son of God. And look at what he says in verse 22, but Saul increased in more strength. And then, listen to what it says, he confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. He is the Messiah. He is the anointed one. He is the one that God sent to save the world just as he had promised throughout all generations. And now, listen listen to this. Uh, Follow along with me. So he's proclaiming grace, and he's proclaiming grace and salvation in Christ alone is what he's doing as he unfolds in his letter to the Galatians. So so understand what happens here, the, the shock that must have happened. 
that Paul goes to Damascus with these letters from the high priest going to the synagogues, tell us who the Christians are so that we can take them. And Paul shows up to the synagogues, and instead of arresting the Christians who are following the way, he confounds and arrests the Jews with this knowledge, and now they are confounded. They are held captive by the grace of God as he proves to them what he had come to disprove. This is amazing. What? How can this happen? By beholding God and being changed by Him. God and only God can turn the lights on. And God turned the lights on for the Apostle Saul. And now he is able, all the scriptures that he had known, everything that he had studied. And this tells us something. You can be consumed with religion And you can even, unless the Holy Spirit opens your eyes and turns the lights on, you can be consumed with the Scriptures and miss Jesus. Paul had missed Jesus all of his life. That he was God. That he was fully God and fully man. He was the perfect mediator and the only mediator between God and man. That he had to be fully man so that he might step in our place. And he had to be fully God so that he could take our place. But notice how God used Saul. This is one of the truths that has just been circulating in my mind all week. Paul had all of this information downloaded, right? He knew the scriptures. And all of a sudden, he was able to put them together. Have you experienced that before? And you start to see Christ in every page. And it got me thinking, because some of you parents might be like this, like, like, what is God doing in my kid's life? Like I'm downloading all, I'm, I'm teaching them how to pray. I'm teaching them about the gospel. I'm, I'm teaching them about the Bible. And it's even worth it. But one day, by the grace of God, he might flip that switch and turn that light on. And all of a sudden, in a moment, they are able to see Christ in all the scriptures because they have been studying all their lives. So, 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 so maybe pray for your kid right now. That God has not turned the light on yet. Keep raising them and, and pointing them to the scriptures and showing them the truth. And pray, God, turn the light on that they might not just be another religious person, but they might behold the face of God. They might behold God in the face of Jesus Christ with the illumination of the Spirit in the scriptures that they have been taught. And so God uses the apostle Saul. He goes in there knowing the scriptures and The Spirit connects the dots, and he's able to walk in and say, I've missed it. Jesus is the Christ. And look at how the Old Testament points to him. Brothers and sisters, he is the Christ. And he proclaimed this in the synagogues. They must have been shocked as he came in. But Paul proclaimed in power, grace in Christ alone. Preach the gospel. Leave that in your wake. The next point that I want you to see, not only was he transformed, and not only did he preach the gospel in power, but what could his next point be? Look at verse 23. And when many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. 
But their plot became known to Saul, and they were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him. But his disciples took him by night and let him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. And then the Bible says he goes on to Jerusalem from there. When I was reading that this week, I'm thinking, okay, it's a, just a transition in the narrative. We're going from one place to the next. Here's how we left Damascus and, and got to Jerusalem. This is what uh, Luke seems to record for us. But that's not all that's going on here. Saul brings this incident up a couple more times in scriptures, in the scripture. And particularly in his letter to the Galatians, he he brings this up, and in his letter to the Corinthians, he, he brings this up, and so he's transformed. He's preaching the gospel in power, but we need to know something else. And here's what I want you to I'll go ahead and tell you what it is, that power is made perfect through weakness. Power is made perfect through weakness. Because this almost seems as a footnote, but in Galatians we get more details and you can go ahead and mark this. Second Corinthians chapter 11 gives us the significance of this event. In Galatians chapter 1, I read it a second ago. You may have picked up on it in Galatians chapter 1 verses 17 and 18. We realize that found in a basket through a window in the wall and escaped his hands. I must go on boasting. There is nothing to be gained by it, but I will go on boasting. Then he goes on to say, my grace is sufficient for you. If I must go on boasting, I will boast in my weakness for his grace is sufficient for me and my power is made perfect in my weakness. Here's what I want you to see. Paul escaping Damascus with the religious folks as Luke talks about on his tail. As the, as the king of the time, of, of this, the, the, the place of Arabia on his tail, as Paul is fleeing, he wants us to know this so much so that he invokes an oath to God. He wants us to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that it is God's strength where he finds power. In Damascus, the proud Pharisee Saul went to seek and destroy the people called Christians. But he met Christ. He was transformed by Christ. He received a call on his life. And when he left the city, he didn't go as a, as a pompous individual seeking to destroy Christians. He left the city as a lowly criminal. Lowered like a, as one pastor says, lowered like a catch of dead fish in a basket whose smelly cargo he had displaced. In effect, Paul views the incident at Damascus as a paradigm for his life. God's strength would be perfected in his weakness. And so Paul tells us this story that weakness was at the heart of his calling from the very beginning and his apostleship. Here's what I want you to know, brothers and sisters. We proclaim the gospel in power. But if you are weak, you are ready to be used by him. For his power is made perfect in weakness. His power is made perfect in our suffering. The Lord used that moment to humble him. And Paul was forever changed by it. I wonder if something has happened in your life. I know it's happened plenty of times in mine. That you realize your weakness. And you think somehow that has made you unfit for ministry or unfit to be an ambassador for Christ or, or whatever that might be, unfit to proclaim the power of the gospel. 
what Paul is telling us here by an oath taken to God is, is that's when you are ready to use for his power is made perfect in weakness. And then he gets to Jerusalem. The gospel is being lived out. There's this beautiful scene. We'll go ahead and, and, and wrap up there. I won't say much about it, but I'll say something about it. He goes to the disciples in, in Jerusalem as he's now humbled and but empowered. He's beheld God and he's being transformed from one degree of glory to the next, not for restoration, but not for ruin, but for restoration. The disciples are suspicious as you would be. But I love Barnabas. Oh, I want to be a Barnabas. He took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them on the road how he had seen the Lord who had spoke to him and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. You have Barnabas, the son of encouragement. They doubt what's happened to Saul. And he says, no, he's beheld the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And he's been changed by that. I can almost feel him and see him putting his arm around Saul and say, you can trust this guy. He's, he's been changed by the gospel. So we've had to ask ourselves a question. Are we skeptical of people who have been transformed by the gospel? Are we encouraging them? Maybe you're kind of feeling like Saul, like, dude, what am I doing here today? I don't belong in this place. I don't belong among Christians. I pray that a Barnabas will come beside you and say, if you've beheld the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, you have been transformed and you are one of us. And so the church is living out this grace. They're not just preaching grace. They're living out grace. They're being transformed. And the church throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria, they had peace. Persecution was rising. The hurricane was coming. But they, in the eye of the storm, had peace. Walking in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. What are you consuming what are you beholding? What you behold, you will become. Have you beheld the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ? What are you leaving in your path? And, and let me ask you the question this morning. Have you beheld Christ? Because if you're pursuing something else in your life, that ultimately will lead to your ruin. It, it may find you in favor with this world, it may find you in good standing with this world, but whatever you are seeking after, that's what you will become. And if it's anything other than the resurrected Christ, if it's anything other than the one who made this world and, and made you and, and knows how you tick and know what you are designed to do, that will lead to your ruin. But if you behold Christ... You will be transformed from one degree of glory to the next. And I pray to God that we leave that in our wake. Leave that in our path. Leave that fragrance with us. Even in our weakness, it's the grace of God that saves.